Welcome to the Moving Beyond Your Tribe, where we dig deep on how to stand out from the crowd by building bridges and breaking free from the comfort zone of colloquialism, industrial language, and jargon to find new words, new thinking, and new approaches to ignite action, mobilize a wider network of ambassadors, create customer loyalty, even in a downturn, and build better internal culture. Hi, I'm your host, Torin. I'm bilingual and throughout my life have straddled two cultures, Norwegian and American. I've worked in 10 different industries spanning 25 countries. I have seen firsthand the power of diverse collaboration to create impact across cultures, countries, and the political divide. On this podcast, we will bring on notable leaders from all walks of life to teach us and provide us tools on how they have moved beyond their comfort zone and create amazing breakthroughs of profit, opportunities, and impact. Now let's get started. Welcome to Moving Beyond Your Tribe. And I'm really excited today. I'm having on Casey Hill. And I have to say, I was really impressed with him. He reached out to me on LinkedIn, sent a nice note, and we have a a mutual friend. And I think that's where communication comes now. How do you create a wider network of friends and colleagues is really through I know this person, you know this person, let's connect. And so we connected and we had a really interesting conversation about Gen Z video and the future of communication. So welcome, Casey. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah. So why don't you tell a little bit about yourself? I really have been impressed with your engagement and communications on LinkedIn. Is that your primary communication channel right now for you? It's one of many. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a growth marketer by trade. And one of the things in growth marketing is the environment changes so quickly that every year I'm testing tons of different things. So, you know, in 2020, I was on Quora. I was testing, you know, different types What's of Quora? Slack groups. Quora is a question and answer website. Yes, I know. But I was like, how would you engage in that? Did it really work? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know how down the rabbit hole we want to go, but Quora actually became a really good lever. We generated over 2 million views on Quora and got a handful of webinars, partnerships, drove a ton of attention and actual traffic and leads. So Quora became actually a really good channel. And, and it started, it's funny enough, it started when I actually wasn't even in a marketing role. I was doing a sales role. Someone on our team essentially asked, they said, hey, we're writing on Quora. We know you love to write because I like to write. And they said, would you be interested in just writing a little bit about sales? Because you basically answer questions. So I started answering questions in sales, started getting a bunch of traction. It became this big content win. It actually is what segued me into working more in the marketing world. But yeah, so for every year, I mean, there's so many different. I was did I did Almanac, I did Startup Town, I did Slack groups, I did Quora, I did LinkedIn. I mean, just a long list. And it's kind of just feeling the pulse of, of where things are moving, testing out. And creating an alignment, I think, too, between what you actually like to do. You know, one of the things I always talk to people about is I don't think there's any blanket. You should do podcasting. You should do blogging. You should do X, Y, Z. It's like, well, what do you like? Do you like having conversations with people? Podcasts are great. Do you like going really in depth on things? Long form blog articles might be perfect. Do you like having quick conversations? LinkedIn might be good. How did you get started in your career? Going kind of way back. From the beginning, I kind of just started doing internships, internships at companies and kind of the tech space. And that's what kind of got me involved in the software world. But all the time I was doing that, I also was testing my own like personal ideas. And I actually think that launching my own companies and projects on the side 
became like a core driving force of teaching me things. So as an example, I launched in 2016, a gaming company called HGC, and we 800% funded on Kickstarter. And what that taught me when I did, we we raised $40,000 for our initial launch. And I ran about five to $6,000 of Facebook ads to drive that attention. So that's how I learned about Facebook ads. I didn't learn it through a course. I learned it through actually using it for my own product. And then that became kind of my roadmap moving forward was to test as many things. You know, I, I created a course business. I created all these different side projects and then would validate different kind of marketing strategies with my own stuff. And I felt like that was a really helpful way to learn. Wow, that's impressive. So when you look right now, because one of the things we were talking about is really uh, the next generation, Gen Z. And I thought you had some really interesting insights. What are some of the insights that you'd like to share that you really think would be something valuable to our listeners? Absolutely. And I'm I'm really excited to talk about this because I think it's so critical. You have more and more buyers that are coming in from Gen Z, people that are the actual ones making decisions to buy software to hire people. And so catering to that audience is super critical for every type of business. So I think there's a couple high level things that are really important to kind of dig into. So the first is kind of how they consume information overall. So I like to use kind of a framework of what I call the skim test, which is that if you're looking at any type of content you produce, what can someone pull out from that in two to five seconds, right? So it's a quick snippet. People in Gen Z are used to information overload. That's what they grew up in, right? They grew up on all these social networks. They grew up in, I'm constantly inundated with information. So they've gotten very good at like parsing through and really getting to the most salient highlights. And so it's your, the onus is on you though, as a, as a business, as a creator to say, how am I using bolding and bullet points and good headers to specifically break down information and longer content to say, okay, if I just look through this really quickly, I find what I'm interested in. And then from there, maybe they read more deeply, but you need to capture that initial attention with that. And this applies to when you post on social, it applies to your emails, it applies to your website. Across the board, when it comes to content, you need to have that that skim takeaway if you're really trying to capture attention in that group. So uh, as a launching point, I think that's a really important one. So if you think about the skim test then, because it seems like you almost have to communicate like that with shorter sentences even. Like you have to even be mindful in the way you're conversing with them. Yeah, I think (laughs) it does make sense. It does make sense. I think part of it is like, I think you can have longer context behind it, but it's almost like the hook. You need that powerful hook. You need that short, like bolded headline that grabs someone's attention and says, oh, this is interesting. And then they want to go read more, right? So I don't think it's that you have to, you know, take out all your long form content, but it's almost like, You have someone who they have so many different feeds that are hitting them and they're just going, going and scrolling, 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 and then they stop. And And then they hit on that and then they can go in depth. So it's almost like we have to build a higher layer to what we used to do. So it's almost like we have to be more mindful in our copywriting of the first headline because that will help people drive down to all the layers that we want to do. That's exactly right. I think it, it has a ton of power. It's like with Facebook ads. One of the things that I learned about Facebook ads that was so valuable to me is they said, your point on the ad is not to sell your product. The point on your ad is to get the person to click and go to the spot where you sell your product. And that was a very subtle change, but it made a huge difference. Because when I first started writing Facebook ads and I wasn't quite sure where to go, I had like a longer pitch because I was trying to sell them right there. I was like, let me sell them on the ad. When I got very, very brief, I took from a paragraph to literally like two sentences, like one or two quick sentences. 
And then they went to my page where I could flush it out. I started doing worlds better. And so, so the what, gears in my head started to shift on how I could approach that. So what surprised you about that? Because actually when I go through my podcast and I see like the ones that are most popular, I was like, well, I never thought that would be the most popular one, right? So it's like, <laughs> what, what was the sentence that made, that, that surprised you? Yeah, yeah. That's a great question on like what specific copy ended up ultimately winning. I mean, I think that one of the, the copy that was the most effective from my recollection, and this was a little bit ago when I was pushing these heavily, but I think it was a couple things. Number one, it was customer proof. So I remember that I noted that our artists were from Magic the Gathering, which is a much larger label. So there's this big, big gaming company, and we had gotten two artists from that company to work for us. So I noted illustrated by world-class. I think that was part of it. And then I basically put the price point right up front too, because it was a pretty affordable thing. So it was like customer proof, affordable price point. And another, I guess, point of customer proof was by the, when I was running these ads, it was heavily during the Kickstarter. So I'd say already 100% funded, 200% funded, 300% oh. funded, right? And so that's something too that um, I would use. So I think it was like a, a confluence of just three very simple, concise points where obviously they didn't know about the product yet. It didn't explain the mechanics of the game or anything like that. But it was like, it was done by a world-class team. It's cheap and other people like it because it's 400% funded. And that was enough to get them to the, to the Kickstarter page where they could watch the video and actually be wow. sold on the product. Isn't that interesting how a little tweak can make such a difference? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, and then you work for Bongiorno, Bongiorno, Bongiorno. I, Bongiorno. Think, I, keep, I keep wanting to say Bongiorno, but that's like goodbye in Italian, I think, or whatever. No, it, Bongiorno. It's totally, it's totally okay. <laughs> 90, 90% of people say Bongiorno, so it's totally good. But yes, I work for Bongiorno. Bongiorno. And what does Bongiorno do? So Bongiorno is a personal video email tool. And so essentially it allows you right from your phone to kind of get hooked into your current system. So when someone say opts in on your website, asking about more information, you get a pop-up on your phone automatically that says, hey, this person just asked you this question and you can just click there and record a video straight back to that person. And in their inbox, they now get you, you know, waving at them and a video that's recorded that's saying, you know, hey, Casey, and talking to them specifically versus kind of the general overwhelm that most of us see in our inboxes so it's really cool. I'm really excited about it. I joined it a year ago and it's been a crazy ride, but it's been really fun because I genuinely believe it is making a really big difference. And I think it's striking at a time now where there is so much information overload that people right. experience and that people have. It's like, how do you cut through that noise? You know, I, I love the example from Seth Godin, who's a marketer that I really look up to of the purple cow, which right. is like that example of you're like, you're driving down the road. If you see a cow, you don't think much of it. But if you see a purple cow, you stop and you're like, whoa, and you take a picture and you tell your friends, you say, I just saw a purple cow on the side of the road. And it creates all of this word of mouth. And so I think the personal video in the inbox from what I've been seeing has kind of that same experience where someone's so surprised that a brand would take time out of their day to do that. They're like, oh, this is really cool. And they, you know, they go share and they go say someone. And, you know, we have so many people that reshare. I, I expect a welcome committee on every company I work for now. And like, just stuff like that, that, that gets me energized and excited about it. So do you, uh, that's really fascinating. Uh, yeah, because it's interesting when you're looking at society, um, it just seems like we're going more to video and to audio in all our various uh, components. Like right now, I'm doing an event on Clubhouse next week. And when we were talking about it with uh, Scott Martin, is his name, he's coming out with a book on it. 
on marketing yeah. and he's talking about sound, like sound is going to be so important that people's voices are going to be more important. And, and I think that also brings into video. So it's just, yeah, because it's really interesting. Yeah, because it's tone. When you're talking to someone, you have tone and you can't hear that. When you write someone an email, it's just text, right? We all know about the miscommunications and tone that sometimes happen in that. But that's the magic of it because, you know, there's this, there's this sense of when people hear someone else talking and someone's excited. And I think this extends to video too. There's actually a concept called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons essentially refer to when you see someone else really excited or happy or gregarious. And obviously it works the other way if they're sad or they're frustrated it actually affects, it actually affects your brain chemistry of how you respond. And mirror neurons is talked about wow. in the book, Fanocracy by David Meerman Scott, who was our mutual yes. connection. So he flushes it out in that book. But when I read that, it just resonated so much with me because that's been my experience too. You know, like the number one best thing people can do for personal video from my experience has been to be excited, to get on there and to like, have like, this is important. We're excited. Like, right. you know, if someone just gets on and they're like, Hi, and you know it's very monotone and it's just like plain then then people are kind of like oh whatever but when you're excited when you feel that energy i think we've all had that experience i know you've interviewed some amazing people so you've probably had this definitely from after an interview where you leave that and you're like whoa it kind of leaves you feeling you know you feel a little up like you have this kind of energy after it because you're like wow that was such a that was such a cool conversation and i think that's what audio and video gives to us is the ability for you to to just get that connection at a deeper level across to people so when, we, when you think about that and you go back to Gen Z, what I always say, I think everyone's becoming Gen Z. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we all have short attention spans, right? We're all like in this modus of shifting. Like I just know when I got my master's at Columbia, like five years ago, I had gone to college really when it was a more, you're reading a book and stuff like that. But through the whole master program, we were doing everything digital. So when I was mm -hmm. done with that class, I practically don't write anymore with my, my hand. I, I type, right? So something in my brain shifted. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if you, with this whole video messaging, are seeing it's not just the Gen Z that are becoming Gen Zers, but we're all becoming less attention span. We need the skimming because we're all succumbing to this information overload. I don't want you to think about that. A hundred percent. You know, it's funny you say this because I just did an interview about two weeks ago, I'm running a use case series where I interview like our power users and I talk to them. And this was a woman in her seventies who was <laughs> running a community and she was loving Bonjoro. And it was just so fun for me because it was so cool to see that connection. Like you're saying, where more and more people are adopting. And when we got on, she was like, I was so nervous. Like she was very, very uncomfortable and nervous at first to get behind a camera. And I think that's something that a lot of us resonate with is that a lot of people just that's like one of the first barriers. They're, they're a little bit scared and nervous to do video. Like, oh, what if I don't look the right way? What if I don't? But then what she told me, which is what I think is such a good lesson for everyone when it comes to video, is once you actually do it and you actually see the impact, you realize it doesn't need to be perfect. You don't have to have everything connected. In fact, the major PowerPoint of video, especially personal video, is about familiarity. So when your kid jumps in and interrupts your personal video and like um, in your head, you're thinking, I need to go re-record the entire thing. Don't re-record the entire thing because that's what makes people connect and feel like there's a human on the other end of this situation. It's different kind of a, with movies or something like that, right? Like high right. production. Those are more aspirational. Like I want, right. you know, the person to aspire, but in personal video, we're talking about connection 
And so I totally agree. I think more and more people are starting to adapt and realize because that's the world we live in. Whatever social channels you're on, your inbox, like it's just changed that where we're hit Mm. with so many different sources of information every single day, no matter what generation you're in, that I think that if you're looking to stay cutting edge, if you want to be competitive as a business, you don't really have the option to ground your feet in and say, we're just going to do physical mail. You know, like it doesn't work like that. You're not going to, you're not going to stay competitive in, in the world's marketplaces and landscapes if you do that. So I think that's something that more and more companies are realizing and they're coming to the plate and saying, okay, how can we adapt? How can we adapt to, to really make sure that we are staying relevant and we are staying in front of people? So like with your Majoro uh, video message, is it almost like a, you could write your memo there, you know, like on the old fifties, uh, like from uh, Mad Men, you see him putting in the recorder and send it to the assistants. It's almost like you're recording your memo, but the memo gets directly sent to you via video. Is that how it is? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's basically going to be like a combination of both audio and visual, right? So if you opted in and you basically were becoming a customer, I might reach out to you and say, hey, saw that you're in the podcast world. Like, that's amazing. We deal with a bunch of people that do podcasts. In fact, a really cool application around podcasts is you could reach, use this to reach out to a guest who you're really interested in booking. And instead of this generic email message that's text-based, they would actually be able to see you and they would get a sense of, of what you were about. And then you could just have a quick link over to your podcast for them to watch episodes or check out your show. And then that, you know, it, it would just be a different vibe. If you got that, you'd be like, yeah. whoa, okay. Casey took the time to look into my business. He has a specific recommendation for how I can use it. Like the vibe just feels very different from the standard, like most software, you opt in for a software, you get a generic automated email that's like, here's the two steps to get. So it's just, it's a totally different dynamic. It's interesting right? you say that because I'm right now in the middle of doing a course for, I'm selling a course for bestseller mastermind. I've helped authors for years to to write their books. And so we have this mastermind and we're doing this funnel stuff and it's getting so frustrating because it seems so impersonal. You have like the first level, the second level, the third level. And really what you're doing is you're putting it all together into just a video and it just surprises people. Yeah, exactly. And I like I want to always tell people like, I'm not against automation. I use automation. I think automation serves an amazing point in, in saving time as part of a process. But I see that there's this world of, there's two different buckets. Like I think when you first meet people, when you make introductions, when you want to celebrate a milestone, someone finishes your course and you just want to say good job to them specifically, not the generic video, but you want to actually, they, you want that person to know that you cared enough to take 30 seconds out of your day to say, congratulations to you specifically, right? I know it was three months and it took a long time and energy, but you're now at a much better spot because of this. And we're excited that you're part of our community. That feels different. That has a different impact. And so when you're delivering general updates and everything else, use automation. Everyone's getting the same message. It just makes sense. But when you're introducing people first, when you're creating that first initial connection or when you're celebrating or when you have those key points, then that's where you want to be human. You know, we always... We always talk about the importance to automate processes, but never relationships. That's the core of it. Automate processes, but never relationships. That's what we're trying to get people to move towards. But isn't that really what life is about right now? You know, like, because I remember you're talking earlier about another point with the, uh, with the Gen Z. You're talking about this. And it'd be great for you to talk a little bit more about your last two points was like this whole thing about uh, authenticity and 
not failing it or something like that? No, no, no. no basically, uh, the, not that faking point, it. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think some people they've realized how important this is. They're like, okay, what are Gen Z about? And they're like, Gen Z is about memes, right? So they start grabbing memes and trying to throw it into their marketing. But because they don't really understand it, they, they kind of miss the beat and they use like the wrong memes. Or like, It's clearly not done by people that understand the context. And then in that case, I think it just kind of makes the people look a little disconnected and silly. So I think the key is be authentic with it and make sure you understand the context. Like don't just do it for the sake of doing it, right? Like if you just get on there and you start posting, say, TikTok content, but you have you don't follow any of the trends. Like TikTok is all about trends for people that aren't familiar. So there's like people record a certain trend and you have lots of people that then hop onto a trend. It's a completely trend-based thing. So if you hop on and you're like completely oblivious and you're not doing anything to do with trends, you're probably going to struggle more there, right? Just like if you grab a random meme and you're just going kind of like by the visuals, but you don't see how people have actually used it in context, you're going to look a little silly. So the recommendation there is make sure that you kind of understand what these things are about. Don't just try to fake it and throw something random in there. Take some time, either bring on Gen Z people to help consult you. That's always a good idea because right. you know they're the people that are more exposed to that. Or make sure you spend some time to really get a sense of it. You know, Circulate it even amongst your internal team. Hey, does everyone get this? Most teams, I will tell you this, are diverse enough. I'd say for 95% of teams, if you have at least 10 people uh, on your team, send it. send your sample meme to everyone on the team and just say like, how does this hit? And they'll tell you if it's offbeat, right? I can almost guarantee you at any pool of 10 people, there'll be someone who says, no, you use that wrong. Or people will be like, that's awesome. And they'll laugh. So that's a perfect example of how you can validate it even internally. That's interesting you say. It's almost like the measurement. Go to 10 people and ask them and see if they if they like it or don't like it. And it's interesting because I, I remember working with Frank Luntz, who's like a famous pollster. And I would always be surprised because we were doing a survey. And when we got the survey back, it was it's completely opposite of what I thought it was going to be. And I was so sure it was going to be the way I wanted it. And he starts laughing. He goes, you don't ever know. And you got to respect the public. You got to respect other viewpoints. And if you don't take that time, you're, you're going to falter yourself. And look at how many campaigns where everyone thinks alike on the team. And then when it comes out, it completely fails. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very well said. It's totally true. That's the value of getting that diversity of opinion yeah, um, whenever smart. you can whenever you can kind of solicit it. And even beyond your internal team, I mean, one of the beautiful things about the world we live in now is the access that we have to outside community, right? So right. you were talking about Clubhouse and yeah. I'm super involved with a lot of like communities on Slack and on all these other places on Facebook. And right. so we have we have these platforms as businesses, free platform to essentially get involved and, and, and solicit opinion. I do that all the time. If I'm like, I'm thinking about a certain content idea, I throw that into, you know, my demand curve Slack group and say, hey, what do you guys think about this, right? They have a little content channel there. And so what an amazing thing. What an amazing thing to have open, to have this access to this huge pool of talent that you can go in and you can be used as a springboard. So use it, right? Like use that as a, it's an amazing resource that I think in a different time would be, you know, worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they're aggregating it for you. Because we're talking about the authenticity. What does it mean to be authentic? I mean, so many people talk about that being authentic. Like, how do you touch into that? And how, and how would you measure that? Like, That's a really great question. So it actually came up on a conversation yesterday on a call. I was speaking with a woman who was based out of South Africa. 
And she was talking, she was interested in using video and she's like, okay, well, I was thinking I probably should try to have a little bit of a different accent because I think if, if they know that I'm from South Africa as a company that might cause problems and I might do, and she's like, I should probably do this. And I should try to say like, she was going through all of these things where she was trying to change or adapt her approach because she was concerned how she would be received. And so authenticity is taking a step back from what you perceive people want to hear or they want to see and doing just what is what you naturally would do. Taking off that filter of, I need to present my information in this light because it's going to cater to this group, or I need to present it in this light. And just taking a step back and saying, use your normal accent and voice. If you're a person who's very bubbly and gregarious, be bubbly and gregarious. But the opposite is also true. If you're a person who's a little bit more straight lace and formal, don't get on there and feel like you have to be bubbly and gregarious if that's not your personality. That's okay. There's a lot of amazing people that inspire us who are more strict and formal in, in how they talk. And so I think it's tapping into that because I think people often will assume someone has fed them a narrative that says, if you're going to be on video, you need to be smiling. You need to be laughing. You need to have perfect lighting. You need to do this, 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 and this. And they have that list in their head. So they're so worried. They're so nervous about messing up, about getting off course and saying the wrong thing or not appealing to this group. Or do, And it's like, if you take a step back, I believe that people can see when you're in your natural element, your speech flows better. Your body language is different. You're less kind of like rigid when you're just talking in a way that you would normally converse with people. So to me, that's what authenticity represents. It's interesting because we were, I had a conversation about that yesterday and it's just like the, like all these ads now, how do you stay authentic? Will the ad world be going bye-bye or, you know? You know what yeah. I mean? It's just fair. I, I don't understand. I don't know where the world's going, but it's funny. I saw an ad someone posted, I think it was on LinkedIn actually this morning. And it was an ad from like this messaging company called, I think like signal. Now I know nothing about signal. I've never used them. Uh, I don't know anything I've about them. signal. It's yeah. like WhatsApp, but it's encrypted. Okay. Right. So, so the only things I know is it's about like secure messaging, but they had yeah. some little ad that was kind of almost irreverent. It was like, we don't care about you. We don't care about your dogs. We don't care about what your you know, TV shows are. But the whole point they were trying to drive home was to, and, and it, but it stood out because you read that and the first line says, we don't care about you. And you're like, well, what do you mean you don't care? But when you read through it, you basically realize, oh, okay, we're not gathering all your information. They're there to help you communicate. But what they don't care about is all of your metadata that all the other platforms are aggregating. And when you read that, to me at least, that felt authentic. It felt like, okay, those people are leveling leveling with me. And the same thing happened a day or two ago. I saw an ad from a company called Adams that sells shoes. And it literally started with, we are not cheap in all bold. And then our shoes cost $129. That's where we're literally opened. And then below that, it went on to explain that you get what you pay for, right? If you want high quality materials, if you want things that aren't cheap, but it was like that headline that just like kind of grabbed you. You're like, okay, they're just putting it out there. So I see more companies that are doing that on the ad front where they're just being upfront wow. and blunt and in front of people. And I think that stands out and it, it, it's almost like a distinct, again, with that scrolling, you're scrolling, you're scrolling, you're seeing a million ads that are saying, are you stuck in your job? Are you looking to break through? Like the same type of copy hits people again and again and again. And you have to figure out what are you going to say to someone that's different from those a hundred other coaching ads? right? Or just an ad that's just like a sale, 40% off X item, e-commerce people, they see that a million, a million times, right? So what is going to jump out and grab someone 
And I think that's where we're, we're kind of moving towards is, is that that authenticity is actually going to become connected with ads and the people that do it well. I think those are the people that will win. That's interesting. So you're on several platforms right now, and I have to really commend you for your for your LinkedIn profile and how you're communicating, because you're taking what I've always perceived LinkedIn to be more formal, but you've used really like I, I read a post from you today. It was just really like this informal talking about yourself. So if you could just reflect on that a little bit, because I used to yeah. use LinkedIn quite a bit when I was in the corporate world to generate interest for the companies that really, really worked. And then now when I'm kind of on this and I'm going back into it, I'm like, what has changed? And I just, it seems like a lot is moving in LinkedIn. Yeah, totally. So I think really what it boils down to is that you have LinkedIn, what I realized, which kind of gave me a breakthrough was that when I took a more like personal narrative style, I noticed a huge difference. And it actually is interesting because this, this actually started with Cora. So it's funny, we talked about Cora at the top of the call. When I first came to Cora, the way we basically were using it is it was a question and answer website. And we would just basically, our team would take blog content and then try to find a question that someone asked that was relevant and just post it. It was very much advice. And that wasn't working very well. And I came in there and I started saying, well, yeah, when I was an SDR, I did this and this was my breakthrough. I started talking about my own story, right? And I think what people realized is, and it, 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 this actually ties into so many things we're talking about today is there's a million people that are posting advice. So when you post advice and you say, you should do A, B, and C, you fall into the form of, of a million other people that are doing that. But when you step out a little bit and you say, here's exactly what I experienced and what I did, then that's no one else has that but you. You're the only one that can talk through your experience. Nobody else has my journey with Cora or LinkedIn, right? In terms of like, I talk about actually like how I've grown my presence on those platforms. So I talk about those. I put those out there. You know, today I made a post that said, this is an actual cold outreach pitch that I use to make a connection. Like here's the actual text right here, you know, names, names omitted, but like trying to just level with people and show people to, to break out from kind of that generalized advice. And so when I made that change, when I started on LinkedIn, um, actually just a couple months ago, I got more serious about posting on a regular basis. Right. And when I started, I was like, okay, I have this whole um, growth tip series. It's going to do amazing. I'm going to tell people all these secrets of marketing. And I went in there and every day I was posting these growth tips and it did horrible. And I was like, I don't understand. These tips are so good. Like, why don't people want to read my tips? So then I decided, okay, what the heck? I'll try a different style. And the next day I posted something about basically a, a night when I had stayed till like 11 p.m. as an SDR. And like, I talked about this whole kind of raw journey. And it hit like, I think it was seven or 8,000 views on day one. And I was like, that was better than any of my posts had done previously. And it kind of like hit me. I was like, okay, this seems to be, I didn't realize that, but it seems to be people like that personal experience. So my advice to people is what I'm finding from having tested a lot of different platforms is almost all of them seem to follow that mold for me, from my experience, that the personal stories, the narrative style seems to be more compelling to people, whether you're on Medium whether you're on Reddit, whether you're on LinkedIn, whether you're on Quora, all those channels that I've tested all respond and reward that same style from my experience. So fascinating you say it because I had a discussion with someone about that because I worked in the corporate world or organizations for most of my career. And you're taught to be anonymous. You're taught to be one of the crowd, right? 
You're not supposed to stick out. You're supposed to follow the company policy. And even as a communications professional, you do the brand profile, you find the tone and all this stuff. And then suddenly now you have to branch out and be authentic. And this was so fast because David Burma Scott was helping me with my bio. And he says, you're saying we all the time. Why aren't you saying I? But you're taught to be we. You, you're taught to be we in the corporate world, right? So when he said that, because uh, he's like a mentor of mine, I was like, oh my gosh, it took me like two weeks to actually write an I piece. <laughs> and, and I think that's where, I think a lot of people are having a hard time with this component of being authentic. And yet we crave it. We crave these personal stories. How do you deal with that? I, I, I'm not sure, but it was just a, an interesting yeah, I think- thought when you're talking. Absolutely. I mean, I think part of this is like, think about this example. Let's take like two coaches and one coach says you should do these three things. They just tell you like, Hey, these are the three things that you need to do. Another coach says, look, four years ago, we were totally stuck here. And then basically we implemented this new strategy, brought these people, they explained to you exactly how they did it in the context of their own experience. And I think that for people like me, because I've worked with a ton of coaches, I've worked with a ton of masterminds, I've worked with tons of people across all the ranges of like consultative work. I've grown a little bit of skepticism because I see the good ones and the bad ones. There's phenomenal ones that are helping revolutionize people's business. And then there's people that haven't actually done it themselves that are trying to get in there and tell other people how to do it, right? And so I think that's where that difference comes in. If If you're speaking to a person like me, and you use the second example where you couch it in your own experience. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I want to listen. You caught my attention. If you just tell me like, do X and I'm like, okay, well, like, <laughs> what, what, you know, what's the meat behind it? And so to right. me, I think that, that part, that's kind of like part of this mentality is for us to put ourselves into the shoes of the people we're speaking with and say, wait a second, like, what do I respond to? What do I like? Like, what, what kind of content right. that becomes an important lens? Because I think sometimes we become so disconnected that we start to write and produce all this stuff only to take a step back and realize, man, if I saw this ad, I would never click on that. And if we get to that point, we need to take a step back and say, that's a problem, right? We're too focused on checking brand checkbox. You know, our text is done the right way. We do all the checkboxes, but if we wouldn't click on it, that becomes a problem, right? So I think that's, that's where we have to kind of retrain our brains a little bit to get out of the, the rigid structure, if you will. And I think that, by the way, I think that ties all the way back to the very beginning of our conversation uh, about this Gen Z thing is breaking down that rigid structure and being a little bit more fluid and dynamic, taking that startup mentality to you know the enterprise level company. And I think if you're able to infuse that type of thinking, you can bring on a lot more innovation than I think all of us who've worked at even slightly larger organizations know the hurdles of getting caught up in bureaucracy, right? Like I still remember that we had one content piece at a company that I worked for that took, I don't even know how long it took, but it was some ungodly amount of time, right? Because it went through so many different layers of review because everyone had to make sure that every you know exact piece and word fit to, to this brand narrative. You know, I wrote an article for Citibank, which is a large organization. And the review process of that was crazy. I think it took them nine months from start to finish and it went through like 14 levels of review and the article was, was, was good and fine. But like, I sit there thinking like that to me just feels like a very bloated structure. It shouldn't take you nine months to move through this economy. So that's so much resources that, I mean, I, I think that's one of the things that's that we're talking about. That's the one way here. communication world, right? I think now it's like you have the one way communication world mindset. 
and now we're in this dual dialogue. And when you're dialoguing, you can't really be rehearsed because it's like when I train people for interviewing in the media, you can have your talking points, but you don't know what's going to happen when you're in a dialogue, right? We talked beforehand about what we're going to talk about, but the conversation is completely different than what I expect. And that's what I love about podcasting because it's a conversation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think part of this is, in a way, one of the good takeaways about authenticity, one of the things that's so nice about authenticity is it's actually not hard to do, right? Like, like what's hard to do is to check all the boxes that you artificially think that you need to check. That's what's actually hard to do, right? Because you're like, I need to do this, this, and this. All of us can come into a conversation and just talk the way that we would normally talk. It's the barriers that we start to self-impose and the structures that we start to self-impose that actually make it complicated. So the good takeaway from this is that what we're recommending, what we're prescribing for people or what I'm prescribing for people is not some, you know, super obtruse, difficult, challenging thing to do. In fact, it's quite easy. It's interesting you say that because I think it's actually harder when you've been trained to have the checkbox sure. in your mind. So it's like sure. I've had, I had a mentor of mine has had to pluck out all these checkboxes to be authentic because you get scared. And I think that's where video too, you get scared because... It's out there. You're seeing yourself. You're exposed, right? You're scared of the judgment. So I think you kind of have to help people get out of that mindset. And that's probably what Bonjoro does is it really helps you create a culture. And it's probably, I believe, the momentum. Someone told me almost 10 years ago we're going to be where we are now. And he thought it was going to be five years ago. But it's now we're getting into that movement of video. Yeah, 100%. And, and you know what's funny? When, I, when you said that, what, what I thought of is our first meeting right? When we first met, you were walking through your house or walking through wherever you were at, right? And you had your recorder and you're going in and it was a very casual, informal conversation. And because there wasn't some strong sense of expectation for either of us, we were just having a conversation. Hey, is this a good fit? Is this going to be interesting? What can we talk about? Then it flowed very naturally. My impression from you is like, wow, this is really, it felt like a very authentic like interaction, right? Because for for there was no like guise of, I need to do something specifically. It was like, we're just going to talk. Right? right. And so I think that that to me is where it's almost like when there is that expectation, that's when we get more like when we put put something out, for instance, on social media and we're worried, how is it going to be received? Or when you're worried about like saying some specific talking point. So, yeah, you, you are right. I should give credit that it's in a way it's easy because what you need to do is step back. But we have learned a lot of these processes that it does take time and like conscious effort to fight against those impulses that might be telling us like, oh, don't publish that because the graphic might not be nice enough or whatever else. But, but that's the other thing I also want to quickly touch on. So many businesses that I work with, they get stuck behind that like perfection wall, right? I know. Where, where they're like, yes. it's not, it's not going to look nice enough. It's not going to do this. Right. It's not going to do that. And, and what I try to tell them is if you use that as an excuse to only post once a month, instead of posting every other day because you're worried that, you know, you might not hit it, like you are going to struggle. I can tell you on Quora, I wrote in 2020, 1000 posts, 1000 posts in 2020. And a ton of posts I wrote would 80 views, hundred views. Didn't matter. I was, I was getting across what I wanted to say. And because I did it regularly, I also had posts that did over a hundred thousand that drove business relationships that created connections. I just kept moving because I was just telling my story. Cora was just an example of me getting in there and just telling my story. So there was actually very little thought work because when someone would say to me, 
they would ask a specific question about being an SDR, optimizing sales or growth marketing. And I would just tell them what I had experienced. I didn't need to prep for it. There was no blog outline. There was no like, I need to get across these top points. I just got on there and literally wrote. So sometimes it was a hit. Sometimes it wasn't. Same thing as LinkedIn. But I was consistent with both of those. And I post on LinkedIn every single day. And when I was doing Quora, when I was in that, I was posting usually twice a day on Quora. Do you still do Quora? I do Quora a little bit, but not nearly. I do Quora now like probably once a week um, or once every two weeks, maybe even now, just because I have somewhat limited bandwidth. I still love Quora, but part of the growth um, marketing challenge that I like to do is I like to explore and see like what's the blueprint. So when I did Quora, I like I did Quora. I actually wrote a course on monetizing Quora. And then I'm like, okay, now let me keep checking testing more things because now that I kind of know a lot of the fundamentals of Quora, I can now train someone like on my team. I can walk them through the steps. Here's what I did. Here's how I grew my audience. Here's all these tips. And I want to learn as many of those as possible so I can keep training more and more people that are part of my organization to be able to replicate those pieces. But that's another thing too. So like with the, with that consistency is in my opinion, the most important thing, build consistency, keep getting out there because when you do that, you will find success. You will have those posts that will take off. And sometimes those can be business changing. That's the other thing. We live in a world where I saw someone on LinkedIn who, who posted um, recently a post he had done that got 13 million views. And he said it basically doubled the revenue of his organization. And it was literally a story. This, this, this guy posted a story of he walked into this job and he was like this teenager and the, the guy basically laughed him out of the thing because he had long hair down to, you know, it past his shoulders. And the guy said, oh, you're too young, whatever. And as he was walking out the door, the guy kind of yelled at him and said, hey, yeah, go shave your head or cut off your hair. And then like, and then we'll give you a job as like a joke. And he went and cut off all this hair and showed up the next day and said, I'm ready to go. And the guy was like, well, that was a joke, but my word's my word. And so he hired him and he ended up being a top no performer or whatever, whatever. Two things that are shown by that. Number one, we're talking about LinkedIn being personal and narrative. Well, that's exactly what he did. But number two, from those conversations, he actually had driven a profound business result because he he got so many, he added, I think he said 4,000 connections and all sorts of craziness. So that's the kind of thing that can happen in our world. You can get one break that can change everything. But in order to do that, you got to keep getting yourself out there. You can't just say, I'm going to do one post a month you're never going to be able to stand out from the sea, right? It's really interesting. So coming to a close, and if you're just thinking about the, the various channels you're working on right now, LinkedIn seems to have more potential, right? I think LinkedIn is really, really good, especially in a B2B context, right? If you're a, if you're a business that sells to businesses, I, I think I'm finding from my initial experience, and I'm fairly new, like I said, just a few months into this, but we've generated 100,000 plus views and I have started many conversations. And a lot of the things that I've kind of initiated from there have been podcasts, webinar, relationships, integration partners. So I've been getting a lot of traction around those type of things. So I think it's very good for, for B2B. But not, not really beyond that. So, you, so like I, a, it's like a staff person. You wouldn't recommend a staff person to start commenting on things, right? It's, it's kind of like, it's really about company to company I don't like to give any blanket thing. Yeah, no, like that's just, what, just your impression. Yeah. My general impression is that the people that are in the B2B are going to get the most impact from that. And also just of consequence, Quora, I kind of feel the same way. I've seen, because I've actually helped coach a number of people on Quora and people that are actually targeting businesses 
they tend to do much better from my course and my interaction than like someone who is say selling like a transactional product. I think just kind of knowing that channel, but, but like as a flip side of like, well, what if you're on the other side of the coin? Well, TikTok, you know, we're talking about Gen Z, we're talking about plat- new right. platforms people are on. Well, I was chatting with like, I think they were called Blue Candle Company. They did a viral TikTok that got something like 60 million views and, and drove like insane traffic on their business. So on the flip side, things like Instagram and TikTok and some of the, the platforms like that, I think actually do very well for more transactional products. So I think it's finding so your lane. So like a transactional product, would that be like a course? A course is, is kind of like a, Can that's a little there? bit of a mix because it could go either way, right? You could okay. sell the courses I sell are B2B because I'm selling them to business owners, right. but you could sell a, you know, how do you ace your job? Like, how do you ace a job interview? And that course could be something that could also go to a consumer because you could have a person who doesn't own a business, but they want to ace a job interview, right? Or I've taken a marketing course before. So I think courses could fit into either lane. So where can we find you? You work for Conjura, but it seems like you've got some extra activities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm all over. So, I mean, if people are interested kind of across the board on anything, always shoot me an email at Casey at Bonjoro.com. Right. I'm happy to, to chat, whether it's about personal video on Bonjoro stuff or the wider lens, more than happy to, to chat there. I'm also on LinkedIn. Like you said, my LinkedIn is, I think, just forward slash Casey Hill, which is my full right. name. So people can, can find me there. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm always And do you have like these connect. courses listed anywhere or? Yeah, yeah. So the, I have two courses that I have produced. One on um, how to get booked on podcasts, actually. So we did 200 podcasts and that was one of our major growth levers in 2020. So I wrote a course about my process there. And then I wrote another course about Quora and monetizing Quora. So those are the two that I've written um, this year and I'm happy to send them. I'll, I'll give you the notes for you to include yeah, if you'd like. Yeah, just send me the, the link so, we can, so people can, because uh, I thought that. And then the last question I have is, what is your life hack? My life hack? Man, that is a, a great question. Trying to reduce it down to one life hack. You, I mean, you don't it, have to just have one. If you have a couple that I, <laughs> I, I, I accept, I accept more than one. <laughs> yeah, that, that's totally fair. I mean, I'd say a couple things. Like the number one thing that jumped out to me when you asked that question is test. Test more, like be more nimble, be more dynamic. Don't, don't set a mm. quarterly goal and say, our quarterly goal is we're going to do X thing. And then you put all your time and energy into it for the first two months and it's just not getting any traction. And so you bang your head against the wall for two more months, still doing it instead of saying, okay, like we put our time and energy into this. Now let's try this other channel. There's so many ways to connect. I think it's super vital to test. That's one thing. Another thing that I want to tell people that I I write about a lot and I talked about a little bit here, but I do genuinely believe is so important is do stuff you're passionate about and you actually like to do. There is so many opportunities for you to excel in the market that if you hate writing, if writing isn't your thing, do not listen to this episode and say, I got to write on Quora and LinkedIn. No, don't do that, right? Like you don't like writing. Find something you like to do because what it's, what's going to happen is you're going to be sitting after work and your brain is going to be thinking about ideas because you actually enjoy it. And so you're going to be like, oh, I could do this podcast. Oh, I could interview this person. Say you like, you know, podcasting. That will lead to so much more success across like all aspects of your life if you invest and try things that you have an actual passion around. So if I was to give two, two to people, those are the first two that kind of jumped at me. Well, Casey, thank you so much. This was a, a lovely conversation. I learned a lot. Yeah, it's all about being authentic right now. And I do believe in video. I really do believe in the video and the audio. Kind of like people are tired of 
all this stuff coming down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta find some way to, to cut through the noise is the, uh, is the moral there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you as well. It was wonderful chatting. Thank you for listening. If you happen to like this episode, please share with your friends. And if you're new, please pop on over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and how we can improve and make this better or how this has helped you. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode.